Hello and welcome to Sigma Sports Presents Matt Stevens Unplugged. This episode is a world first, for this podcast anyway. Two guests, two guests that are brothers. So what can I tell you about Dean and Russ Downing? Well, Dean is the elder brother of Russ and both men enjoyed hugely successful bike racing careers. And now Dino runs a coaching company called Downing Cycling with Russ playing an extremely active role in the company too, on the client side of things. They've had some massive success lately and more on that a bit later. I was keen to find out some juicy coaching tips. It's a time of year when lots of you will be refocusing on your training, myself included. We chat about time management, the most common training mistakes people make, and the lads give us some top tips as well. The Downings are from Rotherham, so if you're wondering if I managed to resist calling them the Chuckle Brothers throughout our conversation, why not sit back, relax, and enjoy the pod? Oh, the Chuckle Brothers are from Rotherham too. Oh, it's that time again. Podcast. Dean Downing was a prolific sprinter in his day, with a Palmares that includes winning the British National Circuit Race Championships in 2008. His little brother Russell was a comparatively early bloomer, winning the British National Road Championships in 2005, where yours truly was 56th, just sneaking inside the top 60. Ross also had the honour of taking Team Sky's first ever win, taking a stage of the Criterium International in 2010. Now they both put their energy into improving the health and fitness of others with their coaching company, Downing Cycling. Their clients range from time-strapped amateur riders looking to improve their performance to top pros like Ben Tillett of Team Ineos and, friend of the pod, Alice Barnes, setting their goals a little higher. But what training tips can the brothers share with us today? How well do they know their hometown of Rotherham? And what biscuits would they invent if they had to invent a biscuit? Check it out. Well, there we go. We, we're now up and running. Um, Russ and Dean Downing, welcome to, well, what we're going to call the Unplugged episode, Double Downing. Thanks for coming, guys. No worries, Matt. Hello. Thanks for having us, mate. It's, uh, yeah, should be, a, should be a good laugh and what a way to start 2022, having a bit of a, bit of a crack with the lads. In, exactly. Um, I couldn't have put it better myself. What a way to start 2022. Let's be honest, 2021 was all right, wasn't it? But it wasn't the greatest of years. But let's not dwell on the past. Although we will a little bit because I obviously want to talk about you guys a lot um, in the in this podcast. But before we, we kick things off, as briefly, guys, but as succinctly as you can, with as much detail over a short period of time, um, could you first... And we'll do Russ first, the youngest of the two brothers. Russ, describe to us where in the world you are right now and what you can see immediately around you. I'm in my kitchen in uh, in Rotherham. And about most things that I can see are just boxes, you know. Just had a delivery from a DPD, expecting a baby in March. And yeah, it's like nice. Amazon Prime here. So yeah, that's about <laughs> all I can see is baby boxes and things that I have to assemble pretty soon. So yeah, it's getting real. <laughs> Fair enough, mate. Fair enough. And and Dean, uh, w- w- describe your little scene. Um, well, I'm about three miles away from Russ. We still live pretty close together. Uh, still in Rotherham, in my um, office shed where I do all my work from. Um, I can see some pretty cool stuff, actually. I can see oh, my yeah. 1992 National Championship jersey hung on the wall, which is cool. Very nice. I can also see Ben Tulett's World's jersey framed which i got from his family a few years ago as a present and i can see a very dusty bike on a zwift setup <laughs> basically i don't use that much anymore as you can hear a little bit in the minute but yeah i'm in my office basically where i do all my coaching work from every single day 
Right. Okay. Well, fantastic. So we've set the scene. I'm. Um, I'll set the scene because I've well, I moved house. I'm up north now. I'm not that far away from you guys. I'm in Derby, and I'm in the. I'm in my office forward slash spare room, and again, um, I can see several boxes. But immediately in front of me, also from 1992, Dean, um, is the wow. Olympic is a furry Olympic mascot with suckers on his hands called Kobe, which was um, designed to look a little bit like a Picasso painting. Um, well, there you go. Um, Great stuff. We've set the scene. Memorabilia. <laughs> Memorabilia, mate. We, that's one thing about us bikies. We do surround ourselves in various places by memorabilia. I can't let go. I, I, what, do, you, do you struggle letting go of, of memorabilia, Dino? Um, massively, yeah. So um, we are just about to move house as well in a couple of weeks. So it's boxes all around. But we, we moved house in the summer of 2020, currently in rented. So we found our new house to, to well, bought a new house so i've got a lot of stuff in storage and it's basically all the stuff that was in the loft which was never used yeah and it, most of it was mine so i can remember memorabilia from jerseys that i'd won uh, medals that i'd won uh, programs that i'd got from tour of britons that i'd uh, ridden for example and yeah. you know world championship stuff for me and when me and russ raced together at the uh, track worlds in 04, I think it was. So, yeah, I've got so much memorabilia. I, like we just mentioned then, my setting, I've got some of my old jerseys hung on just little nails in my office just for just for morale. I've yeah. got my old Rafa Condor jersey. I've got my what is it, uh, Medicine Genesis jersey, NFTO jersey, um, uh, Tour Series 2011 uh, skin suit hung on the wall just to make me feel, yeah, like, yeah, just – thinking back to all the good times kind of thing when I'm coaching. So I love memorabilia. Yeah, so I can't remember. I've got loads of it. I'm exactly the same at our houses. Um, well, a lot of it, I've, I haven't got rid of any. I've just packed it in, packed it even tighter and more neatly into smaller and smaller bags that you can't unzip. Because if you did, they'd explode. You get covered in old jerseys from the 80s, um, <laughs> which a lot of people might like. Ross, what, what, what are you like? Are you uh, are you the same as, 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 as Dino? Exactly the same, you know. I'm yeah. in a... I moved back into our old house of mine that I had rented out for years, and I'm the same. I keep opening a box. What's in this thing? Oh, there's a gem. And, you know, I've just built this new pain cave now. And the reason why I'm not in there now is that I'm a tight arse, and I don't want to turn the uh, electric heater on in there. So it's too cold. <laughs> That's why I'm doing this oh, uh, in, the, in the kitchen. But, you know, yeah. yeah, I'm the same, you know, in there. I keep finding things and finding a, finding a place for them on the wall. You know, I've got some uh, special stuff, you know, Tour of Ireland, uh, posters and pictures and yeah team sky jerseys uh, and things like that so i think you know you never uh, you never get rid of anything as a bike rider like the wife keeps saying well, why are you keeping that and i'm like it's got a good uh, it's got a good story to it all right put it in the box then so totally that's the thing i mean i'm i'm the same I, i've got folders full of race programs from when i was a junior in the 80s that my dad because my dad used to rent me for races back then back in the 80s when you had to send off a check and a letter do you know when you had to put a stamp on and set take go to the post office and send and then you'd you wouldn't hear back sometimes you wouldn't know if you're in the race would you until no. a couple of days before then you get like a, a little program a pamphlet in an envelope wouldn't you and you'd open it and go, oh i got in the race and then you look and you're oh i'm a reserve you know and you'd, but you still had to go you know all that but i've still got race programs from the 80s that I can't get rid of because if I look at one of those programs I, I'll be able to tell you probably where I finished how the race went I wouldn't be able to tell you now but those little <clears throat> souvenirs and bits of memorabilia are little portals to the past aren't they They're, I mean Dino what's your okay but let's we're going to have to move on in a minute but I, I love this chat already Dino what's your favorite bit mate of 
cycling memorabilia from your long and illustrious career? Um, well, yeah, my, my office is littered with stuff and that's my little space. Um, don't have too much stuff in the in the house house, but one thing we do have um, is a uh, is a picture of of me and Big Ben. Um, it's from the Tour of Britain yeah. in two thousand five. Um, okay. It's got a, it's it's framed big A one picture um, from two thousand yeah from two thousand five. Mm. Yeah, two thousand five, Tour of Britain. So in the Tour of Britain, there was a there was a photographer hanging over the corner of the last corner on the on the last stage, and uh, he was he was pretty much doing everyone's head in because he was hanging right into the peloton. So I'm going to try and scare him. So I moved moved off off the line, off the racing line, and um, yeah, I he got a great picture which appeared in the Guardian. Tour of Britain comes to, to comes to London. It was nothing about me, but the picture was me leaning over. In towards the corner, and Big Ben leaning the other way no, with, you know the, what? with the photographer. How they, how he took it? Um, I've, I've seen that photo. You know, that's quite a famous photo from, from um, that era because it's 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 like from the ground. It's like it's really from the from ground, the ground up, isn't yeah. it? It, it, it's, it, it's, it? The perspective's all weird. It's quite yeah, it's very very picture, weird. Um, yeah. And in the in behind because it's just a line of the peloton going around the corner. In there's uh, Elio Cases in there when he raced for like Vlanderen. Oh, Rob yeah. Hales is in there racing for our squad as well, recycling. Ed Glantz is in there as well. Oh, uh, Kenny Van Impa is in there. He used to race, a really good rider. Um, so it's littered with like really cool superstars of, and friends of mine of cycling. And that is my utmost favourite uh, memorabilia piece of cycling, uh, which is in which is always in the house, um, which is nice. That's a, have you have you signed it to yourself? <laughs> I haven't. No, yeah. Yeah, I shouldn't do really. Maybe, should, maybe, should. maybe should sign it on the back. Um, yeah, sign it on the back, just as a reminder, mate. Um, Ross, um, before we move on to uh, to other stuff, because I want to, uh, I want the viewers, or sort of not the viewers. This is a podcast for crying out loud. The listeners <laughs> to understand a little bit about um, you guys growing up. But Ross, your favourite bit of memorabilia? Probably, you know, I mentioned Tour of Ireland earlier. I've got a, a poster that uh, Phil Griffiths did when I won Tour of Ireland. Uh, mm-hmm. It's got like a, it's, it was to put in the Pinarello stores back then. And uh, it's just, it just, you know, it sends shivers down my spine every time I see it. It's like, you know, it's on a on a really nice mounted perspex sheet and <laughs> it's moved around different rooms and different houses over the, uh, over the years. And that's probably the one that stands out, you know, because, you know, like Dino said, you know, he, as bike riders, we we, uh, we we like a bit of morale now and again. So if I'm ever feeling a bit, you know, oh yeah, I'm feeling a bit bit under the weather, whatever. Have a look at that. You soon uh, you soon get the diamonds back in the legs, as the saying goes. And uh, it is, you know, it's going up St Patrick's Hill in uh, in Cork, and I don't think I've ever had legs like that on a bike uh, ever again. And <laughs> I definitely won't ever have them in the future. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I remember watching it. Um, because it, that it was actually on, it was televised, or it, it might have not been live, but it was later. And I remember, remember you um, winning that quite emphatically. In fact, you were unbelievable, almost untouchable. But that that picture is one that you've shared a few times on social media, mate. And it's it's a photo that I would never get um, tired of. It's really, really iconic, and 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 it is interesting, isn't it? Be, and we will talk about the coaching side of things a little bit later in the pod. But one of the things that I used to tell bike riders that I used to I wasn't a formerly a coach or formerly a manager trained but I ended up you know managing the Sigma sports team 
and all of us crossed swords back in the day, didn't we? But um, when a rider was ever feeling down or a little bit off form, I used to tell them, just take a day off and just look back at what you've achieved and how you got to this point and remind yourself you're still the same person. Um, and that applies a little bit to, to even now, doesn't it? Sometimes without wanting to dwell on the past, every now and again, a reminder of what you've achieved is really good for your morale now, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. You know, Dino's, uh, you know, the brains behind the Downing Cycling Coach and that, you know, I'm, I'm a bit like yourself, what you just said there, Matt. I'm more, you know, on the ground, sort of looking after some of the youngsters and actually riding with them still. Uh, Dean's a full-on planning, but one thing that Chris Walker taught me from a young age was, you know, if you don't fancy uh, going out for a bike ride or training on a Monday, don't go out. Tuesday, if it's the same feeling, don't go out. He said, mm. if it lasts more than two or three days, then you've got issues, but, you know, yeah. you'll soon get that fire back. So, you know... As you know, as a bike rider, from an early age, you've just got to learn your body and you know know what know what it needs to go, you know, up and down. You can't always be smashing it as such. So you know, you know things have moved on, but there's still some uh, some uh, some grassroots stuff that we have to listen to, and uh, you know that's that's one of the tips. You know, the the feeling of not wanting to ride your bike won't last for long if your if your passion's still there. Exactly. No, and we'll um, we'll nip that in the bud, mate, because I think we can expand on that a little bit later in the public. You are you are totally right. But what I'd like to learn a little bit about actually is because I've I've known you guys for a couple a couple of decades actually, um, <laughs> a long time, uh, a, a long long time since the early nineties, really. And as we as we know, I'm a little bit older than you guys, but not a lot actually. Before we came on the pod, just to the listeners, we. I did say, I kind of did a bit of rudimentary mathematics in my mind, which was firmed up by a, a complex uh, spreadsheet that our, our <laughs> producer, Niall, knocked up in moments. I mean, he's, he's a whiz, not just at jingles, but at mathematics. And he worked out using maths um, that our accumulative age, so Dean, Russ, and me, not giving away our actual ages, but accumulatively, we're 142 years of age. I think that deserves... No, can we have a round of applause for that, please, mate? Thank you. Thanks so much indeed. <laughs> So, we always have a live day for you yesterday, there, Matt. Obviously, oh, cheers! Uh, Thank you very much. You have to work it out if they, uh, if they scroll through some uh, some pictures from yesterday. It, it, exactly. Yeah, there, yeah. There's there's a lot of obvious hints in there, isn't it, to my age? But so, what I'd like to know, although I've known you guys for ages, we're mates. We've um, we're all retired now, but um, you know, cycling is in our blood. What what I'd like to know, I'll ask you first, Dean. What's your first memory? Um, not just not just of riding your bike. What's your first memory of of riding with your brother? Because you know you've got you both on the pod. In, in fact, it's the first podcast we've ever had two people on, um, let alone two brothers. So, so Dean, what was your first memory of riding with with Russ? It's probably mid mid eighties, so eight eighty five, probably something like that. When I would have been ten, uh, and Russ would have been like yeah seven. Um, so my first we. We both used to go and watch Dad uh, do grass tracking, uh, lots of hard tracking, well, Nottingham, Middlesbrough, that kind of thing. Uh, my first, um, my first race, uh, proper big race, was in '83, which I, which was an under thirteen handicap, which I won. And then I'm pretty sure that Russ's first race was the same handicap race, four or five, probably four years later. Right. And um. That was probably one of the first times that we raced together, to be honest. Yeah. Russ as an eight-year-old, seven-year-old maybe, me as a, uh, as a 10-year-old. And he beat me. <laughs> he was oh, first. Blimey. 
Right. I was second. It was a big handicap race, and I was at the back because I was older. And yeah. Russ was at the front, but he still beat me. Uh, and that kind of set a trend for the whole time frame, actually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> me in the second. But what was cool, and it's still cool to this day, is that it was a one-two. You know, and we've right. done plenty of one-twos over the years. A few times I've swapped over, and I've won in his second, but. You know, yeah. yeah, 85 would be that time frame of the very first, well, not the very first, it would have been rides with Dad and around the lanes and around the Crescent and where we used to race our bikes with the, with all the lads. Like. So, yeah, 85 is probably that time frame when wow. we first raced together. Brilliant. That's and, a long and time ago, eh? <laughs> it is, it is a long time ago. Again, 35, 36, 37 years ago. Um, wow. that, that's right isn't it yeah it is 37 years ago nearly four Ouch. years amazing but so what about you russ i mean okay not so much when you race together what's your first memory of just riding a bike with your brother because because dino was saying that you just before you were racing and obviously you guys raced from a very very young age i actually didn't start racing my bike properly sticking a number on until i was about 16 but you guys are racing as schoolboys, weren't you but when was your first or your earliest memory russ about actually just riding your bike w- w- with with your brother Simply just def- out the front of the house or sort of that sort of stuff. Yeah, it was definitely uh, up and down uh, around the streets and that. But one one thing that stands out, like Dean mentioned, Dad used to go and do the grass track carnivals, hard track, uh, and that. From a young age, you know, they they last all day, so you you're in and out of the uh, at the venue. And I can remember just being in the track centre. There was just bikes everywhere, and I'd just be I'd just be wandering off, you know, spinning my spinning wheels and just just in the thick of uh, bikes from an early age and I probably could ride a bike before I could walk. So right, right. that's the thing that stands out. And then, you know, it's like people keep posting pictures lately and there's pictures of me on my dad's back and in between the top tube trying to reach the pedals and, you know, it was just <laughs> like, just great, you know, and that's, that's, uh, that's where I fell in love with the, with the sport, uh, that sort of side of it, you know, the, the camaraderie and the uh, you know the atmosphere of everyone just you know wanting to do the same thing. They're all in the track centre, you know. Uh, the handicap races on in half an hour, and people are just doing other things before they go racing again. And yeah, you know the track inside the track was where uh, where my first memories of bike racing uh, started for sure. That's brilliant. I mean, I think that's one of the things that. The, the, especially British riders that I've spoken to, because we, we've all of us of a certain age, especially, have come up through the club scene, haven't we? And um, both Dino, yourself in clubs, I, I was in well, the Hemel Hempstead for years and years. Um, but those formative years where bike riding was just, it was just immensely fun, wasn't it? So that, that's what inspired me ultimately to want to become a pro, apart from seeing the Tour de France. But, but Dino, at what point, you know, you, you, you were both very, very successful, and I, you know, it, I think we'd be here all day just listing off yours and Russ's Palmares and, and results over the years. But at what point in your young life, Dean, did you think I, I, I want to, or I think I can make this as a, as a career professionally? What, what point was that for you? Um, it was kind of like two points because one point I thought, yeah, I, I could, I could do good at this. Mm. And that was when I was like 18. Right. Um, I, I was doing well in nationally. And I did like it was Eastway, which is where um, where the Olympic Velodrome is now. That was yeah. kind of like the event was there, and um, I think I got like fifth in a national series junior race, uh, and got a phone call from Alan Sturgis, Colin's dad, yeah. um, who was the current national 
junior track coach at the time inviting me to a trial at Leicester track. Um, and that was like, and then we, we, we did some, we did lots of training. I got on the squad. Um, Manchester wasn't around then. So it was all at Manchester. It was all at Leicester. Um, sadly, I didn't go to the junior worlds, which was yeah, a bit of a hit, but, but at that time frame as well, I was at college and I failed quite a few exams. So I didn't go to the junior worlds. I failed a lot of exams and I had like a bit of a like, <laughs> 18 year old right what am I going to do I I wasn't going to become a professional cyclist at that time frame but it did knock my confidence a bit of like well I'm I'm on the British team this is great I'm going to be a pro no you're not you failed your exams you need to do something else so yeah kind of like a few years later got back on went full-time in 2000 uh so what's that seven years later and that's when I thought "Mm, maybe I was a lot older um, I had a bit more money behind me and I just went off to Belgium to see what I could do. And it was at that time frame that I thought, maybe I can make a living out of this. Yeah. Um, so 2000 is the actual standalone point where I thought, well, I'll, I'll give it a go. And Russ was, Russ was good in that. She said, just give it a go, you know. So I was 25 at that time. It's a long, it's a lot older than youngsters are turning pro nowadays uh, yeah. up to World Tour and things. But um, so it's like two points in my in my in my lifetime of 18 year old didn't thought about it didn't quite work out and then 25 well he kind of did work out because that was my start of my my journey as a as a full-time bike rider which led to being a paid bike rider fantastic and and similarly ross what about you it did it happen earlier for yourself well well i, I know you were racing at a really high level as a, as a as a very young rider weren't you like 18 19 you were winning some big, big events because I was racing with you at that particular time. But what time in your mind were you thought, okay, this is going to be my career? I think, uh, like you said, Dean Dean was like three and three and three quarter years older than me. You know, I was yeah. sorry, my, sorry, my uh, university and things like that. You know, I always joke about Dean's the brains of the outfit, and uh, he was. You know, he went to he went he went on to study, and he was he was good at school. I just wanted to be outside and yeah. riding bikes and things like that. So. My it started probably under under sixteens. Uh, probably one one turning point for myself was I used to play for Rotherham United under sixteens on a on a Thursday evening. You know, right? Rotherham United, right? Okay, so footy, footy, yeah, yeah. Under under sixteen, centre of excellence. It was a Thursday night, and you know, I was there for there for a couple of years, and then I was always struggling to get down to training uh, on a Thursday night. You know, just jump on the bus or do whatever, and then there was a, a local road race league on. Uh, on Thursday nights, and it kind of, it kind of got in the way a little bit. And I'd said to mum and dad, "Well, I need to go down to the football." And they were like, "Well, me and your dad are going up to the bike race, so you have to find your own way there." Yeah. It became hard work, and then I went to one of the uh, the road race leagues in the on a Thursday evening one day, skip football, and realised that it was cycling I loved and not football. So I stopped. Right. I stopped football. Yeah, and never, never did it again. And. Then sort of at school at under sixteens, they realised that you know I was I was pretty good at athletics, so they got me they got me into the rugby team. Uh, they wanted a, a fast little runner to play scrum off, and I don't know, three three games in, I got crunched, I broke my collarbone. That was that. Never never played rugby again, and bike riding was a uh, bike riding was started. Then you know the PE teacher took my took me home back to my dad's bike shop. Uh, and my dad sort of said, "Well, I don't think he'll be playing rugby again, will he, Mister Stewart?" And that was that. And, right. uh, <laughs> cycling was born. I was uh, meant to be 
you know, training training hard on 16s, you know, but my dad was like, you need to maybe study for your exams. I uh, did more training on the bike. My exams suffered, but I won six medals. I won a medal in every discipline at under-16 wow. level. So I won right. five, five on the track and second in the criterium at under-16s. And right. Dean was, I think Dean was already on, what he mentioned about the track squad then with Alan Sturgis. So I went away with, uh, I went away as a, I think a 16 year old with a, with the juniors and under 23s really. We went to Alkmaar in, uh, in, uh, in Holland to ride, okay. a, to ride a, ride a big race. And that was that. Uh, so under 16s, I was already wanting to be a bike rider. And I think, Winning those national titles really just uh, got got me noticed, but you know it was a tough old journey uh, after that. But that's when it really started was under sixteen level. Maybe should have been studying, but I didn't. That's it. That's like that. The thing is that that they're they're things that you um, you look back on these little turning points. Some of them are, are, are turning points that happen over a period of time, with a series of decisions that lean you in one direction and. Other times it can be an like one particular yes or no decision, like you stop football and then you're on the cycling path, and it could have just been, you know, um, an injury or you know that uh, set you on a different path. It certainly was for me. But 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 guys, we've we kind of alluded to well, not you, you've said outright both of you that you're from Rotherham. Um, so it's time, I think, to to not pause the podcast, but set it on a different course. It's time for our first jingle of this wonderful podcast so far. It's time. For the Roch, Roch, Rochdale? It's not Rochdale, but it's Rotherham. It's time for the Rotherham quiz. <laughs> there we go. Yo, yo. What's up? You all ready? Yeah, yeah. Let's do it. Ta-ta-ta-turn off your phone. That's right. Da-da-da, get your thinking cap on. Yeah, yeah. Now it's time. What time? Ta-ta-ta, time for the Rotherham quiz. This should be fun. <laughs> it's time, guys, for the Rotherham <laughs> quiz. Um, Niall hardly does any other work at Sigma Sports anymore. He just is a jingle designer. Uh, and, he he quizzes. Pod, and he does complex mathematical equations, adding up people's ages as well. <laughs> so anyway, so the Rotherham quiz, um, gents, I'm going to, um, because there's both, because there's two of you here, you can confer. So I'm not going to ask one question each. I'm going to ask the question to both of you. You can have a brief discussion if you wish, um, but please don't go on Google if that's okay. Um, no phones allowed in this quiz. So, um, I'd like to turn my phone off because it keeps binging and buzzing. M- mine keeps binging. I keep getting WhatsApps through, but it's, it's the life we lead, isn't it? It's, no, uh, yeah. we're, we're inherently connected. Anyway, so I've got four, four questions for you, chaps, all about Rotherham in, in various ways. And the first one is this. So listen closely because I'm about to begin. Okay, Rotherham has one of four surviving bridge chapels in England. And the one in Rotherham is called the Chapel of Our Lady of Rotherham Bridge, which actually dates back to the 15th century. Now, it was restored, gents, in 1923, having previously having previously been used as what? So, was this chapel used previously as A, a fishmonger and a pub called the Jolly Frog? Was it B, a jail and a fishmonger's? Was it C, a tobacconist and the smallest branch of Clark's shoes in England? Or was it D, a tobacconist and a jail? So, lady, Have you ever t- heard of it? <laughs> so Lady and Rother- of Rotherham Bridge. I've been um, to a few pubs in Rotherham and I can't remember the Jolly Frog or whatever it's called. <laughs> no, I can't okay. remember that name, yeah. 
I'm maybe going to think of C, you know, C's, yeah, some, uh, yeah, Rotherham's, Rotherham's, uh, yeah, pretty, pretty crazy town. I don't know if there's jails in that in there, but I'm going to, I'm going to stab it out there and go with a C. It seems like a sensible, uh, are you happy with that, Dave? Yeah, I'm happy with that. Yeah, because I don't. I've not heard of any. I've not heard of a jail. There's been a few people in from jail that go to jail. I would yeah. imagine. Um, but yeah, yeah, I'm going to oh. go with C as well. Yeah. Okay, so you think it is C, a tobacconist and the smallest ever branch of Clark's Shoes in England. Unfortunately, gents, that's incorrect. Oh, it was right. in fact a tobacconist and a jail oh, as well. A jail. Yeah. Um, yeah, if you look it up on the internet, it's called the Chapel of Our Lady of Rotherham Bridge. And it's a it's a chapel basically on a bridge. There's only four in the whole of England, and one is in Rotherham. And it was used as a tobacconist and a jail. So I mean, um, that is. I'm going to be honest with you, lads. It's not a great start, but <laughs> three more, you know, it's, it, let, but let's not let dwell on, on it too much. Let's move on to question number two. Okay, <laughs> this is a corker. Not a good right. Okay, question two. Morris Minor and the Majors was a band from Rotherham who became relatively famous in 1987 with their number four hit, Stutter Rap. Um, The success of this song led the band to having a short-lived comedy series that aired on BBC One in 1989. But what was it called? Okay, the band Morris, Minor and the Majors had a top four hit that led to a TV show on BBC One. Was it called A, Morris Minor's Marvellous Rotherham, B, the Adventures of Morris Minor and the Majors, C, Morris Minor's and the Majors Go East, or D, Morris Minor's Marvellous Motors? I reckon... I can't remember. I mean, I, what would I, I would have been 14 then, and I watched a lot of TV when I was younger. Mm. A lot of TV. Yeah. Um, I can't remember anything from that era of having, having Rotherham in the title. Can you, brother? <laughs> I, like like Dino said, I could never get near the TV. He had his chair spun round with the TV. He made a better door than a window. He couldn't see through him. Uh, All right, you know. And I was like, well, I can't have any TV channel on, so I'm just going to go and play in the garden. Uh, so right, okay. Dino would be a man to answer this, and he clearly not watching so, the TV. Really. Was it? Was it? B, was it B or C that didn't have Rotherham in it? The- so to base it a rhythm again, A, Morris Minor's Marvellous Rotherham, B, The Adventures of Morris Minor and the Majors. I think C, it's that one. I think B, it's B. B, The Adventures of Morris Minor and the Majors. Yeah. Unfortunately, that's wrong. The programme <laughs> in question was called Morris Minor's Marvellous Motors. Oh, my it, word. It was about Morris Minor uh, and the rest of the band running a small garage in Rotherham, and that was a comedy show that was on BBC One. Oh, my word. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Absolutely um, terrible. So let's just break this down. We're at the halfway point of the quiz. Um, no questions right, but you can turn it round. We've got two more <laughs> questions to go. And the ne- this next question, you'll be relieved. Uh, so will Niall as well. And you, uh, listeners, it's a short question. Question three. How many branches of Poundland are there in Rotherham? A, none. B, one. C, two. Or D, three. I can't remember the last time I went to Rotherham Centre. What do you think, Russ? It's definitely not zero. Yeah, definitely not zero, yeah. Two or three. I'm going, I say we go two. Well, two. it's actually a big place. It's yeah. not like just a centre. It could be anywhere. It could be Masbra. Yeah. I think three. I'm going to go three. One park gate, isn't there, I think. I'm going to give you a slight um, bit of guidance here. Um, before you said three, you said another answer, didn't you? Yeah, and I said two, and I think oh, I yeah. that. 
So two? Two, yeah. Yeah. It is two. We've got you off the mark, chaps. Well done. It's slight bit of help there. But you know, this is a fun quiz. And also, it's all about learning. So people who have uh, tuned into this this podcast have now learned that there's two branches of Poundland. And one's a superstore as well. One's on the retail park That's and one's one. on the high street. Um, so there you go. Two options um, for Poundland browsers and enthusiasts. Right. Okay, question four. Final question. If you get this right, gents, you're going to hit 50%, which is, which is not bad. Because we've had some. No, well, I got in my exams as an eighteen-year-old. There you go. There you go. <laughs> That's why I failed. <laughs> right. Um, I'm not going to do it in in Alex um, Alex's accent, but it. What this is the question? Which Arctic monkey monkey song? Which Arctic monkey song? If I can get my words out, has the quote? Yeah, I'd love to tell you all my all my problems. You're not from New York City. You're from Rotherham. Let me do that again. Yeah, I'd love to tell you my problem. You're not from New York City, you're from Rotherham. My question is, what song by the Arctic Monkeys, Monkeys was that from? Was it from A, When the Sun Goes Down, B, A Certain Romance, C, Fake Tales of San Francisco, or D, The View from the Afternoon? All off their first album, by the way. I've not listened to Arctic Monkeys for ages. This was, I mean, this was, this was, this was peak monkeys, really. This is yeah, like 2006. Um, fake Tales of San Francisco. Straight go. in with, uh, I'm going to take your first answer. Russ, you've earned yourself another point. That's correct, Amundo. Because I'm an Arctic monkey. <laughs> there <laughs> we go. Brilliant. So, um, again, using simple mathematics, if you just give me a moment or two. Yes, <laughs> it was 50% correct <laughs> in the Rotherham quiz. It's worth a round of applause. Yeah. So, some great teamwork there. And um, a really unhesit- unhesitant um, answer to the final question. Well done, chaps. That's, pr- that's pretty decent. I think that's got you about mid-table. Um, we should really have a, a league of who, who does best in the quizzes. Uh, maybe we'll do that another time. But um, we'll get four out of four. It, it, yeah, exactly. Uh, there's, there's one or two, but not many. Most people like fall at the final hurdle or they're, or they're just too weird, the questions, to be honest with you. Uh, but I, I, I spent two hours this morning uh, coming up with four questions deep, deep in the internet. Um, and the more you dig, the, the more there is about Rotherham on the internet, just for fans of Rotherham out there. Um, you know, you can go down a right Rotherham wormhole. Right. Chuckle chaps. Brothers, they're from Rotherham. We get, they used are. To get all the Chuckle Brothers. I, I nearly did a Chuckle Brothers question. I thought there was um, going to be something in there, Matt. I know, but but I, I just wanted to, obviously, because there's only one Chuckle Brother left, I just wanted to just respect, you know, um, yeah. Barry, isn't yeah. it? Barry's passing, really. So, uh, but yeah, they are from Rotherham, as is... Um, David Seaman of Arsenal with a ponytail. He as well. is, yeah. He's, yeah. Uh, he's, um, his parents who live on uh, my auntie's road. That's right, yeah. There you go. Amazing. It's a small world, isn't it? Also, who's the bloke with the wild, with the kind of really grey hair out of um, that program about cars? Um, <laughs> James May. James May. Um, uh, top Gear. He's from he's from Rotherham. He's from Rotherham. Yeah. Our, our friend and actor Dean Andrews, I think, went to school with him. There we go. Yeah. It's, like a, it's like a who's who of Rotherham, isn't it? Flipping out. I feel, uh, yeah, uh, what an amazing place. I've been to Rotherham quite a few times as well. Yeah, you, um, you, come, you, you were in Rotherham when you did our Oots, Oots of the Saddle uh, charity dinner. That was yeah. actually... That's, that's, that's on the outskirts of Rotherham. That's, that's, of Rotherham. that's right. Yeah, because uh, it is quite, a, thinking about it, because I, I went to the Morrisons in Rotherham, didn't I? Well, a yeah. friend of mine did, um, or, you know, a guy we all know, Kenny, went to, he was really, he, me- he messaged me afterwards. He was, he really enjoyed the, um, how big, uh, the, the Morrisons was there, and that's where he got the prize for the for the raffle, wasn't it? Yeah. And he bought some oats. Yes. Oats. Uh, 
<laughs> good. That was a good night, wasn't it? And that was a very, very good night. Right, gents, um, you are both esteemed cyclists. You're now um, coaching. You both work for, for, for Downing Cycling, coaching people. So what this next part of the podcast, I'd like to pick your brains, really, uh, chaps. Um, and I think because this is the first podcast of the year, obviously a load of our listeners ride bikes. I mean, I would imagine the vast majority do. Um, some don't, and there's no problem in that, but a lot a lot will be looking to achieve different things this year, whether it's like a, a top elite level or it's just getting a little bit fitter. So we'll start with yourself, Dean. Um, what can you give me? Um, actually, we're going to alternate it. Your top tip, Dean, for basically getting fit in the winter for anybody who is time crunched, regardless of their aspirations. So if they're time crunched, they could be, you know, um, got a full-time job, but are racing at the highest level. Um, but that tip you could use for that person and also someone who just wants to get a little bit fitter, who's just who's just maybe starting out in the sport. What's your the biggest tip that you could, that anybody could apply to what they do to get fit at this time of year or build fitness? For, for me, it... It's kind of like it's a new year, so everyone comes up with, I'm going to have this New Year's resolution type thing of, I'm going to ride my bike every day. And that's yeah. kind of like not achievable. You've got to try and, you mentioned their time crunch. So you really have got to think about your own time management, your priorities, but not do too much too soon because you will burn out and you will get bored. And like riding your bike every day in January is a big, big ask. Um, so try and plan around what you've got going on. Uh, how often do you work? You know, if you've, if you've got a full-time nine-to-five job, then maybe do some turbo sessions in the week, one or two, and then aim to ride your bike at the weekend around family things, for example. Um, but everybody's different as well. We, are, we, are we talking about like, you know, a, a 20-year-old um, male or female that's at uni uh, or part-time job? Everybody is very, very different with their time-crunched um, life um style so but just try and manage what time you do have and do don't do too much at once yeah i think that's the biggest tip i think that's really i mean what i can i think that's a really really important thing to say it's it's what i was trying to get out was with some fundamental tips basically regardless of what people want and that i think is a key one and we did talk about it earlier on and russ mentioned it that you can get stale very very easily and and lose this that spark can't you but um but I, fa- I found when I was racing and training, and there's only a couple of years of my career that I was actually racing and training full time when I was with the Linda McCartney team. But before that, and after that with Sigma, and before that with various other teams, I was worked. But I, I never used to see that as detrimental. I, I used to think, well, I've, I've got X amount of time. Um, so I trained really smart. So the time I did have, I trained, but I was also really, really... I, over the years, I got better at it. it was listen to my body and, and rest it up and, and just use my time wisely. And it, it's funny, the less time you have, the more precious it becomes. I mean, is, is that fair to say, Russ? Yeah, definitely. You know, uh, like you say, people, so many uh, things about junk miles nowadays, you know, people just go out for hours and hours. But like Dino's just said there, you know, full-time workers and things, they've only got, a, you know, probably a maximum of 10 hours a week or something to train. And yeah, train wisely now, you know, there's a lot of information out there and you can... Uh, you can maximize the hours in the chair as such, you know, two good things that I recommend us to come online with me and on Thursdays for the Donny chain gang. Uh, and yeah. Wednesdays we have a women's only one as well. We set that up on, set that up in lockdown and it's people who didn't think they could even get around a chain gang are now really loving it. You know, it's a ramped, uh, 
a ramp to work out with a bit of a go, go, go thrash around at the end and the fitness that people have gained from that and the morale as well, you know. Everyone loves morale on the bike, you know. Turning up at a coffee shop, chatting to the mates, what you've been up to. That's what we do on Zwift, you know, on, online for an hour, an hour and a half. So that's my recommendation. You know, it's all it's run by myself. Uh, I'm the head, head, head online coach there, you know, and it's uh, we put it on YouTube as well. So you can even watch it back and see what you did good, badly, and not so good and all that. So, yeah, it's good fun. I, I mean, I, th- I think it's it's really worth worth flagging that we we did. I think we touched on it at the start that the, the origins of I mean, the Donny Chain Gang has been in existence for years anyway. When it was outside, and because of what happened in lockdown, you basically took that format onto Zwift, didn't you? And it and it just grew its own pair of legs, doesn't it? And now it's 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 part and parcel of your kind of training offering. But I couldn't recommend it enough. I know I know Dan Cogan who um, who works heads up the social media team at, at sigma and the digital stuff is a big fan and i think i've ridden on there a few times with him and you have quite a lot of top end pros as well because as we know there's a lot of very very good professionals from yorkshire who jump on from time to time so if you do jump in on a tuesday wednesday or a thursday as you say women's only on a wednesday but the other days it's open to everybody what i like about it is the fact you've got the community the community thing still there. And even out of lockdown, it still continued. It's still a regular meeting place for people. So it's it's exists on its own now, doesn't it? But um, what I like and what's quite democratic about it is the fact it starts off and just builds and builds and builds. And then the last 10K or something like that is when you just, it's basically a race. So you you don't feel left out at all. People aren't just going to get dropped straight away, which which Dean is is a really important thing to do, isn't it? Yeah, like, like um Chain gangs are they've been around forever outdoors. Um the the Donny one and the Yorkshire one has got quite a good, you know, following. Lad, lads have been on the Donny Chain Gang and the Robin Chain Gang throughout the years from around the country. You've got like the Leeds one as well. That's a really good chain gang as well. Um, but people do chain gangs as a club, as a club uh, session, possibly most Saturdays. And it it is a get together. It's a steady ride out to wherever they start the chain gang, i.e. a loop on a triangular circuit maybe, or the Donny chain gang, the Saturday one, um, goes, uh, it's like a 40-minute session. The Tuesday, Thursday one at the top of Donny goes goes from kind of like from north to south and then comes back in la- inwards a bit. But it is that it is that ramped effort which, which Russ has spoke about. So that's what we discussed ages and ages ago in lockdown to make it like that. It's completely different to any other um, Zwift event, really. I mean, there is very similar events now that have, there's, there's so many people doing uh, so many, so many people, so many coaches, so many, you know, um, pros, ex pros doing events. Um, but it's not, um, I mean, we've all done Zwift races. You're literally in the pen, you go in, as hard as you can go for five seconds so that you slingshot yourself out of the pen and then it just continues on for a Zwift race for 20 minutes, 25, whatever it is. It's completely different to the real world, a Zwift race. Um, but this, this is what Russ didn't want to want to get out. He wanted to make it completely different and all-inclusive, which he, he, he clearly has done. So, um, yeah, and from the beginning, Matt Payne has been on commentary, which has been really good. He has a lot of fun with it. Uh, it creates something very different as an event for Russ and Matt doing the comms and the and the YouTube stuff, which we run out on Down Cycling Channel. So it's, yeah, it's a really cool event. It's been going for a long time now, and it all came about 
from yeah from lockdown. No, I, I couldn't recommend it enough. If uh, yeah, and you can join online, can't you? Which is it's quite easy. You have got a website. You go through there, and then uh, you, you're there, and it's uh, it is a lot of fun. And and that's the thing, you will get fit quite quickly as long as you augment it with some other rides in the week you know even if you're just riding two three four times a week if you do a couple of those or even one a week you are going to see results without a shadow of a doubt aren't you russ yeah definitely you know like dino's got some of uh our coach riders who some like to do it some don't and you know dino plans it in their training training costs the thing is you know week in week out what the session kind of is it is a ramped workout and you know we call the go 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 with around 20 minutes to go so you know, people can see their they can see their FTP increases. They can see, you know, where they're improving each week, and we have good fun with it. You know, so you know it's great. And going back to the old school sort of chain gang, you know, Zwift's a, a, a great platform. You know, but you wouldn't meet up at the at the what, what was the pub called in Rotherham, Jolly Frog. And absolutely nail it out of the block. <laughs> I did make that up. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah. I'm going to open a pub next year and call it the Jolly Frog. Because it was Neil Stevens. Yeah. But like I said, you wouldn't meet at that meeting point and absolutely, right, clip in, go boys, would you? You'd all like, oh, no. really, what you've been up to? So, you know, that's where the chain gang online has never moved far from that. We had so much. Yeah at the start people going off the front backwards forwards oh you need to put the red fence on I said no you don't you need to listen you need to respect you know like we said about the old school chain gangs you wouldn't ever go out on the sunday sunday afternoon with a club and just act like act and ride like an idiot well you could do but you get clipped around the ear so you know we just say come on let's respect the the chain gang structure and it's great, you know. We've had four hundred people online some nights. That is a bit too much, and it's a bit of a nightmare to control as myself as leader, you know, backwards and forwards. But it's brought some good people on, and like I said, we get the pros turning up. Yeah, Ben Swift comes on, Connor Swift comes on, loads of the uh, the Uddersfield boys come on. So it's yeah, it's it's a good uh, it's a good training tool, and you know, we're just going to ramp it up for another another four months uh, in the winter. You know, it's. Not nice riding out there in this weather nowadays. It's a bit fresh, and I like to stay warm. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm the same. I have I, in my in my my later stages, my mid stage of life. I, I I do love riding outdoors. Don't get me wrong, but I I make a few more informed choices now, and I don't want to lay it down on the ice. So, so my I'm I'm a little bit you know less risk averse, if you know what I mean. Now, and I, and I, and I can keep my good level of fitness by riding indoors. But I mean, sticking with the training theme, uh, back to you, Dean. What do you think is one of the biggest mistakes, or as as somebody who's been coaching for a few years now, um, and in teams, you know, and, and sometimes inadvertently, when you're an elder statesman in a team, although you're not technically a coach, you do end up, you know, giving out advice to younger riders, and that's one of the things that I used to love as I got older. Although my form and my ability might have plateaued, my skill set, my mental skill set, was always getting honed. But so you be acutely aware of people make mistakes all the time. So what's one of the common mistakes that riders this time of year, Dean, should really avoid? And what's one of the common themes that you see time and time again that is easy to avoid just by kind of just being a little bit disciplined? Um, not resting properly. Um, okay. Overdoing it, therefore not resting properly. Um, and me and Russ chat about this quite often. Like everything now from a, if, from a coaching background, everything has names now. So yeah. you have periodized training, you strip that back and simplify it. It's very much what we've all done 
for 10, 20 years, you build your base and then you go into like harder training and then you start doing race efforts, the so-called capacity now or VO2 max efforts. And okay. so, you know, everything has names now, but yeah, the majority of things that a lot of people do, uh, I've got, I've got a very vast array of different types of riders. We mentioned time crunched uh, people that work. So I've got male and female athletes that are exactly like that. I've still got a couple of world tour riders that I coach, which are the best in the world, you know, yeah. uh, but they still have similarities of like, they, they came to me with kind of, they didn't rest enough. So they pushed, pushed, pushed. And then either they'd get ill, they'd get a cold, they'd carry on going, they'd carry on um, training and get even worse, maybe get a chest infection. And then that's three weeks out as opposed to like backing off and having the, having the confidence to go, well, I've worked really hard. Uh, I do feel a bit ill. I'm going to take a bit of a rest. So I have two or three days of, of not riding and, and getting better and then resting and riding easy and then going uh, going on as well. So I, Russ mentioned Ben Swift then. We've known Ben since he was a kid. So Russ is really good mates of him. I'm really good mates of him. And I've learned a lot from Ben over the years when I was still riding of what he does with his coaches at Sky as it was and Ineos and these world tour pros they do it properly you know that's why they're the best in the world when they rest and have easy weeks they have easy weeks they don't do 25 hours every single week and just break themselves they yeah they rest properly so with the help of and then just the chats with Ben Swifty over the last few years it's like giving me confidence to then relay that to my riders to like well you've, you've worked hard for three weeks let's have a rest week uh, let's make it count. Let's have a few days off. Let's ride two hours easy, and yeah. not the four hours with the with the chain gangs in between, like we have done the last three weeks. And then they'll find the benefit. Yeah. Um, so yeah, resting is massively what people still don't seem to do. They don't. They feel like they should be just pushing, pushing, pushing all the time, every single day, every single week. I, I think it's a really interesting point. I mean, we've all, I know, you know, Russ will have done, the thing is we've all done it. We've all made that mistake probably a few times. It happened less and less as I got older because I understood. <laughs> yes, but even, true. Yeah. But, even, but even when you've heard it, don't you think, oh, I'll push, push a little bit. I won't push as much, but I'll still push a bit when you shouldn't be doing anything. And yeah. I think when you're, whatever your level of ability, when you're, when you're in a period of training, you know, whether it's for, for racing or a sportive, whatever, but you're trying to get fit, there's, there's a way that your body feels pretty much all of the time. There's a constant to training and, a, and because you sleep really well, you eat well, there's a rhythm to it. And when you are forced to stop, your body immediately thinks, especially if you're kind of mentally quite hungry, thinks, I've got to keep riding, I've got to keep riding. So you've got your body telling it, it's kind of counterintuitive. So you've got to somehow, Ross, haven't you? you've got to have the ability and the discipline and the confidence, as Dean just said, to, uh, to be to override your own feelings and to say stop because it will help you and it, otherwise it could be massively detrimental yeah it's like it's, uh, uh, you've got to learn your body as quick as you can if you're if you're wanting to be a, a bike rider and that and you know different people give you tips along the way like we always said about the feeling of not wanting to train for two or three days you know if that lasts for a long time then you're in problems but the same thing goes with tiredness and illness and fatigue it's like would you rather lose two or three days or three weeks? You know, so yeah. if you if you're thinking, you know, feeling a bit tired, back it off for a couple of days, and then yeah. you can go again. Absorb the training, and you know, you go again and say, two weeks is nothing. 
three weeks is a long time to uh, not be riding your bike and not be a uh, not be feeling great. So you know, knock it on the head for a couple of days, and then you'll be you'll be back stronger. Fair enough. Oh, sorry, guys. There's a funny sound going on. Oh, Random question oh, alert. No. Random question alert. It is time for a random question. You've got that playing on. Yeah, it's well, I tell you what it is, it's a good guess. Um, ever since we've been doing the podcast, which incidentally did come around because of lockdown, just like the Donnie Chain gang, uh, the lads at Sigma or the good folks at Sigma installed an old Russian computer in my in my house, which I've got in my new house, uh, which they insist as part of my deal I've got to have. And every, now, and every now and again, it, it fires off during a podcast and I have to tear off. I've just walked across the room and come back. I've got this question, guys, I've not, never seen before. I'm going to ask it to each of you individually. We'll start off with Dean. Um, Dean, um, I'm sorry, this is nothing to do with training. It's just random, uh, so apologies. Dean, if you could create a completely new kind of biscuit, what would it be made of and what would you call it? <laughs> Gosh, completely random. Yeah. <clears throat> New biscuit. Yeah. Well, I'm a cookie kind of guy. Love cookies. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, a new biscuit would have to be cookie-based, but like lots of different types of chocolate in it, like all sorts, everything, all, okay. all different types of chocolate in a cookie-based biscuit. Is that is that good enough? Or that, That's good. I mean, it, uh, yeah. I mean, what would you call it, Dean? The ultimate cookie. Is that Just pretty the ultimate- lame? Yeah. It's uh, it's all right. It's all right, yeah. <laughs> so the ultimate, I, I like it though. So loads of different chocolate, um, and it's got the ultimate cookie, and that's the so so Russ. I know you're a fan of biscuits, uh, although you you know um, you you've changed your diet over the last few years. You're vegan now, aren't you? Uh, I'm not anymore. I was. I got ill a couple of years ago, so I. Uh, oh, sorry, I mate. Sorry. No, it's, that's fine. You know, I did I had a total reset of the body. You know. Uh, a lot of plant-based stuff and you know got me got me back going pretty quick and now I uh, I eat a little bit of meat nothing nothing major but I still don't eat too much dairy you know don't drink don't drink milk uh, drink all okay. the alternate milks but yeah so. so so what would be looking at for your biscuit then if you if you had um, you know uh, just a a shopping you could just get anything for the ingredients for your for your biscuit uh, I want to know what's in it roughly um, and what would you call it Russ probably going to be looking at like a, a peanut butter and jam sort of biscuit maybe like oh, wow a, like a spec okay. like a specky loose type of peanut base with some jam on it and yeah. then yeah probably I'd, probably I'd go two i'd go one with the chocolate topping or you know so a bit of a variant you know so you could have one with chocolate and one without and what we call it i don't know the go 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 bar or something something like that <laughs> <laughs> go go go! You could give them. You could give virtual ones out on the Donny Chain Gang for people who are on. Or, or, I mean, just a bit, guys. Just a business idea, you know. Um, you know that the go 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 bar and the ultimate—is it the ultimate cookie? Ultimate cookie. Uh, the ultimate cookie and the go 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 bar. Just two lovely ideas. Um, it made me a bit hungry. I, <laughs> yeah. I, I felt a bit. We, we Holly did the shopping yesterday. Um, we ordered it online and get Tesco to deliver. Um, and um, we forgot to get any bread. So we've got loads of stuff, but I couldn't put anything in a sandwich. So I just had a load of old Doritos um, for lunch. And I feel a bit now that, which is not the healthiest of things, um, although I'm a big fan of Doritos, but I don't know. I'm just rambling now. So that's what it was. I was going to ask because sticking on the training theme, 
Uh, I mean, there was a lovely little, um, it was quite fortuitous that that was a biscuit-based random question because that leads me into another quite serious question, actually. And I'll pitch this one to you, Dean. Um, What about diet? I mean, should people be concerned about what they're eating, especially at this time of year? Um, And how would you, without being super prescriptive, because there's so much choice available now and and, and people, you know, people um, are training, racing at the highest level as vegans, vegetarians. It's it's so much diet and the importance of diet is looked at so differently now than when we were racing at the highest level. It's it's a completely different ballgame, isn't it? But so what would be some uh, kind of loose but fair and broad set of rules in terms of diet and training and getting and getting it right within the parameters of, of people enjoying their food at the same time because that is massively important too yeah this is a, I, oh, I don't talk about this too often but when when do i when riders i've heard for new riders coming oh would you uh, would you set me a nutrition plan and i always go well no, I wouldn't because I'm not a qualified nutritionist. I've, mm. I've I've learned over the years to eat what's what's good for me to give me protein, carbs, vegetables as you know daily intake type things and meals wise. And then on the bike, you can get so uh, into how many grams of carbohydrates and proteins you need each hour, uh, and that has to come from a a nutritionist that you can potentially work with or or your own knowledge which you research with a nutritionist so i've got some of my riders that i coach they've got qualifications themselves so they do it themselves and then relaying it to other riders that i that i work with so it's quite tough to you know for me to say do this do that when like i say i'm not not a qualified nutritionist but yeah, if you if you work with a nutritionist that is vegan based, then and that works for you, then that's what you that's what you're going to do, and then you're going to have to learn about what what does that mean for your training um, yeah. days. Uh, how do you then fuel on a bike being vegan? Um, so like learning all the time, uh, each individual has to learn all the time what's what's what what it means for them. Um, that's that's what I always that's the route I always go down as a coach. Because yeah. my, my own diet's you know very, very varied, you know. Um I eat pretty much everything, you know. Um I have breakfast, I have like sandwiches at lunch, uh I have meal sit down meal with my family in the evenings. Um I eat meat sometimes, I eat like a salad sometimes, I eat vegetables, I eat, I eat, I eat all the time, such so mine's a, a very, very personal, a very varied diet. Yeah. Um yeah, it's hard when I see lots of people out there doing everything, you know, with as a coach, but I'm not a qualified nutritionist, so I'd never go down that route, really. Does that yeah. makes sense? I, no, I think I think it does. And um, things have changed massively. And most, you know, most national, all, all national teams now, um, as well as, you know, world tour teams, you know, um, second division teams as well, pro tour, or whatever they're called now. I, I should know my commentator. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. um, is um, they'll all have nutritionists who work closely with the athletes themselves and with the coaches to come up with a plan. And it's not just a plan for that individual based on on the, on their dietary requirements or preferences, but also on the training load as well, and also weather conditions. It's it's absolutely incredible, especially when you you look at the real elite level at world tour. Um, and, and having spent a lot of time with teams and, and looking at the way they plan the program for a stage race, it's insane. But there's, but what's wonderful about it is, without wanting to bamboozle any of our listeners, is the fact that there's so much information out there 
for you to just consume yourself. You just like just learn, read, yeah, learn and uh, read and learn and and, learn, and, and, tr- and, tr- and a little bit of trial and error. But yeah, one w- one takeaway I think from takeaway what a lovely thing to say. Oh, yeah. take away. Oh, that, was, that was golden that wasn't it uh, i didn't even that wasn't even written down it just that just by delivery or something again. <laughs> See, yeah. hello fresh that's where we are we're hello oh, fresh if you're uh, listening uh, fresh, support <laughs> me oh definitely is is to try different things uh work with the nutritionist because there's there's lots of them around i don't think it would cost a lot of money either especially if you really wanted to improve also use your common sense as well yeah, balance, common sense balance balance diet. Um, <laughs> but I think one thing that it, whatever you whatever you're training for, um, especially if it's event based, i.e., racing or like sportives, fondos, whatever, um, never ever use something on race day that you've not used in training. That's like one yeah, correct, really important yeah. takeaway because that can really have like really like devastating effects physically on on the day, and it's, it's just you know. Use tried and tested methods. I think is a is a is a, is a pretty decent takeaway in terms of training for an event, a ra- a racing the event itself, isn't it, Russ? Yeah, don't go out for a curry the night before us. Uh, yeah, even like <laughs> at Stephen's party pants whenever we've been rides in the past. But uh, <laughs> that's, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. But you know, going going back to that as a as a bike rider myself, uh, it was never say science and everything's moved on and the nutrition's amazing now, but. If I wanted something, you know, a little a little treat or something, I had a little treat, you know, as a as a bike ride because you never really then craved it, you know. I didn't used to drink much alcohol, but if I fancied a beer, I'd have a beer. Then you wouldn't ever want to go and have ten beers, you know. So yeah. same with a bit of chocolate, you know. As a as an endurance sort of athlete, you could get away with that little, you know, the little bit. Your body just eats it, drinks it, uses it, gets rid of it, you know, because you, you're you're on the limit most of the time. So, you know, if you want something, just have a, have a little have a little nugget of it, and you'll be a, you'll be fine. Your morale will be a, your morale will be good. Fair enough. I mean, I mean, just moving on from food to the, I mean, we've talked about the physical aspects of training a bit about a little bit about nutrition. I mean, there's some really nice things for people, I think, to, to go away with so far, guys. Um, but but Dean, one of the biggest challenges of being a coach and and being responsible for riders, you know, as much as you can. Ultimately, they're responsible for themselves, but you give them the plan, especially when things aren't going right. Is the psychological side of it? So, how do you and and given the the broad range of riders under under your uh, that that you coach, is that one of the most difficult parts? Is dealing with the the effects of a rider going through a bad patch? How do you and and what and what tips could you give people for getting through the difficult times? Because that is one of the biggest challenges I would imagine of being a coach. The, this is going to sound really strange, but that's one of my favorite parts as a coach. Yeah. Um, yes, it's, it's over and it's really is over and above building a training plan. Like, like qualified coaches, guys who know what they're doing, ladies who know what they're doing as a coach, they can, they can build a one month training plan, a four week training plan, which gets them from A to B a lot better, a lot fitter. You know, rest days, you know, all that kind of, you know, um, yeah, training plan stuff. But coaching somebody who's going through a tough time is is quite difficult. But that's yeah. the, that's that's one of the parts that matters the most, in my opinion. Um, and having been up and down through my own cycling career with injuries or, you know, tough times and trying to find form when you'd done all the training and it wasn't happening or you've been ill a lot, um, can I draw on my own experiences of that and then chat to the rider, whether it's male, female, or younger guys, younger ladies, young, older guys, and just just get them through that and just try and get the 
get them to ask themselves some questions of what's happening. So, uh, and then and then chat through what what's next steps. So, I think injuries is always a big one because somebody trains so hard and then they get injured, and then it's like, why has this happened? You know, I've got to really yeah. think about what. Um, how they get past that injury. Um, but also like headspace is really big as well when the riders tell themselves that they can't do it, uh, where they've been doing it for weeks and weeks and weeks and they get to a big race and they don't feel very good on the bike. Now that could be like either muscles are tired, uh, heads telling them that, that they're not, they're not, they're not good enough. Maybe, um, I had a young rider that was doing the worlds and he couldn't get through a session. Like, days out from the world. So I had a phone call him and said, well, before you leave for the worlds, make sure you do like 20 minutes, 30 minutes on the rollers just to, just to get your legs feeling a bit better and let, and let me know how you feel. Cause it, it stopped with the session. Yeah. Um, uh, it was a hard session. It was high, high intensity capacity type session. And, um, he felt much better about himself cause he'd done the 20 minutes rollers before he jumped on the plane to go to the worlds. And yeah. then he went on to, to win the worlds. Um, so it's this, like, is ben, this is this is ben, it's Ben, isn't it? It's, it's Ben, ben yeah. It's ben. It's yeah, like yeah. He, he was he was second guessing himself. He couldn't do the the hard session. He couldn't hit the numbers. Why couldn't he hit the numbers? He'd done this session a lot of times. It one of his one of his favorite sessions, and um, he starts second guessing himself. He's like a week out from the worlds, or you know, days out from the worlds, and it's like that. That's absolutely a a mindset thing that he's telling himself he can't do it because he can't do that session. Yeah. So kind of rescue it and say, well, jump on the rollers, spin your legs out, see how you feel. Let me know. Oh, I felt great. It was nice to flush my legs out. And then he, he, yeah. he makes himself happy again. Yeah. Um, it's about, I guess, although that they look to you for guidance, what you ultimately got to do is, is let somebody, you know, get control back of, of what they do and feel confident in what they've done. You just gently guide them, give them scenarios, you know, but ultimately the responsibility is theirs, but yeah. it's a real, accountability is always learned. talked about, isn't it? Yeah. In, in it, coaching, it, it, give, give the riders accountability or they want accountability yeah, um, yeah. Of, of what you've set them, what you talk to them about. And like, like asking the riders questions as well, not like any quiz questions, for example, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but asking them like, how do they feel and what do they want to do and what do they want to get out of this week? And then they go away and think about it. Then they get it done. And then they're happy when they've made all the training peak sessions green. Um, so they're accountable for chatting about. And it's not just like, I'm the coach, you do this, and then I'll see you in a month. It's more just yeah. ongoing and, you know, keeping keeping the riders happy is is um, one of the biggest things. And when a rider's happy, they get they hit the sessions. Uh, but also, like, if they don't hit the sessions, why? It's generally always a reason for why they don't hit these sessions or if they had to miss it, um, why? Um, always a reason behind everything. So, Yeah. I mean, I mean, just, just touching on that before, we're going to have to wrap things up soon. Um, it's been an amazing – I've really enjoyed this, by the way, chat. It's been, it's been great fun. But, you, you, I mean, well, I'll ask another question to Russ in a second, but just off the back of talking about Ben Tulip, you know, he's, it was – he was double world champion at cross, wasn't he? Was it double? Did he win yeah, it twice? Um, he did, didn't he? Yeah. 18 and, and, and 19, now, yeah. That's it. And then he went on to ride the road with Alpes and Phoenix. Now he's been picked up by the Ineos Grenadiers. I mean, that must make you feel, you know, immensely proud, mate. And uh, how, how does that actually feel? Have, seeing a rider, you know, from a very, very young age win, win across the board, but clearly he's not just winning across the, he's, the, the versatility of Tullet. It means a very, very exciting prospect, isn't he? 
been friends. So I met Alistair Tulip, which is Ben's dad, Dan's dad, uh, in 2005, six on a training camp randomly. And there was himself, a guy called Ian O'Hara, and a guy called Guy Andrews, who was at the time editor of Rule Air magazine. And we stayed friends for life, you know. Ben would have been like four or five, so I was racing at the time. So being around Al's house and Catherine's house with the with Dan, Ben and Amy was a really baby then. Um, I've known Ben since he was four or five years old. So then seeing what he was doing all wrong, he was just doing everything wrong as a as a young 14, 15-year-old. So I said right. to Alistair, I said, I'd love to help him. You know, I'd love to coach him. He'd never had a coach before. He just got a power meter, didn't know what he was doing with it, didn't really use training zones of any sort. So we just started basically from the beginning, from the beginning of like having a coach and, you know, rode with him a few times and teaching him how it, it, how he should um, concentrate on schoolwork at the time and then yeah. and train properly so he could get better and better each month each year and progress. So to see where he is now is, is, is pretty amazing. I was on the Tour of Britain working, um, doing my driving role, and he was there with Alpes and Phoenix. So we caught up with him quite a few times at hotels. And it was just That's nice cool. to chat to him and how he's doing. And we were chatting about the Ineos uh, role, and he's excited about that. Um, but, yeah, during the time frame, it's like people talk about that imposter syndrome. Have you ever heard of that? Yes, I have. Um, yeah, yeah. And it's like I used to get that, and I still do. It's like how, how, how have I... How have I coached this young lad to become double world champion? Um, and when you sit down and look at it, it's all the hard work that he does, that I do, what his parents do, what his team did at the time. And it's a collaboration, mate, yeah, isn't it? It's, it's a collaboration. It's, so yeah, but, it's all that you know. All that—that's the wonderful thing. I mean, about that, I'd imagine it's very rewarding in, in a non-selfish way. It's just part. Of, we all want to be rewarded and gain satisfaction from our professions, whatever they are in life. Yeah, you know, some are, some are harder than others, but when you see a lot of hard work, that collaborative uh, side of things, uh, reap success. I think it's quite right to to actually enjoy that moment for yourself. It, it's um, there's nothing wrong, I don't think, in feeling a little bit of pride about certain things. It's, um, it's yeah, seen so I'm very, pri- pri- very proud yeah, of it, what yeah. Ben has achieved. But every day I speak to different different coach riders mm. on the phone about what they're doing and taking some of my um, my full time. Uh, full-time uh, workers with families and stuff that are getting PBs or, or getting up there in a Zwift race or they do well at Hillingdon in the summer. They 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 ring me to tell me how well they've done and they got a podium in Hillingdon and they're like so happy. That also makes me happy because that's the coach rider of mine and we've done that together. So it's from one end of the scale to the other of, you know, a, a female or male rider that works full-time, has got two children, but still doing great and still loving the process and still enjoying yeah. it. That makes a phone call to their coach, which is me, and I'm happy with that. And it's it's fantastic. And That's then brilliant. there's there's Ben who's riding with Ineos now, um, which is also the other end of the scale. One of well, one if not the world's best team. Um, but it still makes me really really proud to for all my riders that I coach. That's fantastic, mate. We, I mean, we're gonna we're gonna bring Russ back in for a, a final question, uh, chaps. So I just want to thank you again for joining us on the pod. It's been it's been really, really, really enjoyable, and it's, but I can't wait to see you guys in real life as soon as possible. But Russ, if you don't mind, mate, let, let's end thing, wrap things up with you um, with a simple question. It's a question I've asked a lot of people, um, but I find it always I find the answers always fascinating. What's the best piece of advice, Russ, that you've had over your career that you'd like to share with our listeners today? Oof. 
in terms of in terms of training and racing and and, and stuff like that, or the or a piece of advice that you've given to people that you that you find that find they're rewarded by, or that it's a bit of advice that you'd always pass on to somebody who's wishing to just get better. What would it be? It's definitely going to be something uh, from my good friend Chris Walker. You know, he, he he got hold of me at a young age when I was seventeen. You know, convinced me that I was good enough to be a bike rider. You know, uh, and he, like I said, we we touched on it earlier about you know if you're feeling down or ill, lose two days over two weeks. So it's going to have to be you know something along those lines. And then on the back of that, enjoy your bike. You know, enjoy. Yeah keep it keep enjoying it you know and you know if you if you're not enjoying it one week knock it on the head for a few days and then it'll it'll come back uh so definitely something from chris walker you know enjoy the bike and learn your body you know from, yeah. a, from a young age you know like dino's just said there you know it's all calculated nowadays with with numbers and stats but still you need to uh you need to listen to your body sometimes you know uh and I said, shut things down, absorb, absorb the workloads. So yeah, definitely enjoy it. I say that's, uh, and we still, you know, we're 150 years between us here now. uh, We're we're still still enjoying it, aren't we? We're doing something, right? Still enjoying it in our, in our, in all three of our different, well, yeah, we're all still in cycling, which is pretty cool. Um, but yeah, like Russell, we're all enjoying what we do, uh, I don't ride my bike nowhere near as much as a. I looked at my Strava stats the other day and it's embarrassing, but I was like, well, I'm very, I'm just, I don't ride my bike as much, but I enjoy every single day on the phone with different types of riders that I coach. So that's my enjoyment is, is my work, my connecting with different types of riders and seeing them all progress. So yeah, enjoyment is the key, boys. It, it certainly is. Now, so Ross and Dean, thank you so much for joining us on Matt Stevens Unplugged. It's been a pleasure. And by my calculation, because of our accumulated ages, it's only going to take us two and a half years to reach 150 years. So maybe we'll bring you back on the pod then to have a 150th anniversary. <laughs> yeah, sounds good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, all right, we can meet up um, before then. Yeah. Oh, I hope so. Oh, definitely. We're, yeah, I'm not going to leave it two and a half years till we'd actually meet up in real no, life. Uh, that would be a little bit too long. But chaps, Russ, Dean, thanks very much, guys. Speak to you soon. Um, it's been a blast. Cheers, guys. Thanks for the invite. Thanks a lot, mate. Fantastic stuff from Dino and Russ there. Thanks so much to them for their time today. Now, if you're interested in getting some top-level coaching from Downing Cycling or fancy joining the Donny Chain Gang, head to donnychaingang.com for more information. Thanks to Perry App Gwyneth for the podcast theme tune, and thanks to you for listening. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and rate the pod, and why not recommend it to the Arctic Monkeys, who can perhaps weave Rotherham into the lyrics of their next top indie classic. And finally, a massive thanks again to Dean and Russ for joining us on the podcast today. I'm off to join the Donny Chain Gang, see if I can get my hands on a go-go-go bar. Cheers all, stay safe, and goodbye.